Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Alrighty then. So... We are in the midst of chapter 4, uh, somewhere in about uh, verse 27, somewhere in that ballpark. We're, we're uh, into this story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And so Jesus amazes her by saying, you know, go, go, go home and get your husband and bring, bring him here. Now that, that, all right, ladies, have you ever gone to buy a car by yourself? Okay. Did they, did this did the salesperson ever say go home and get your husband? No. I, I hear that all the time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, pretty rude. <laughs> but in this culture, that's exactly what was done. See, Jesus is breaking all the rules here. Men and women never talked in public. So, Dave, if you had something to say to Joyce. Out in public, and this is out in public. You weren't allowed to speak to her. You had to wait till you get home. And you definitely were not allowed to initiate any conversation with him. No, 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 no. Don't ever, ever, ever do that. So that even husbands and wives weren't allowed to talk in public. So women, just keep your gap shut, was basically the policy. So Jesus talking to a woman was really socially bad he's talking to a Samaritan woman he a full-fledged Jew talking to a Samaritan woman that was also really really bad and then on top of that he's a rabbi and rabbis are held to a higher standard of honoring the first two laws so he's just he went bananas with it and so again as the disciples come back and see this they're thinking, oh my gosh, are we in trouble? <laughs> when word of this gets out, they're going to arrest us and throw us in jail because Jesus has broken all, all the rules. Fortunately, they don't say anything, but they're thinking it. This is really, really bad. So as the story progresses, yeah, the woman is stuck on the physical. She wants this living water. Water that means that I don't have to come back to the stupid well anymore every day at noon because I'm a social outcast because I've had five husbands and I'm now living with the sixth guy that nobody in town, especially all the other women, want nothing to do with me. So, again, that's why it said at the beginning of this story, Jesus had to go to Samaria. This woman needs help. She's a mess. And so Jesus... Kind of plays her along a little bit. Well, go home and get your husband. <laughs> well, I don't have a husband. Well, thanks for telling me the truth because, yeah, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. So basically pointing out sin. And remember, as I've talked in the past, any conversation you have with an unbeliever, it has to come down to sin. Yes, talk about God loving you, but God loves you because you're a sinner. It always has to come back to sin. You cannot walk away from that conversation with, a, with a, an unbeliever and not have mentioned sin. 
You've got to do it. Because otherwise, you, you will never win that person over for Christ. Unless it comes down to sin. Because they know that they're sinners, but they think that they are beyond any hope. As this Samaritan woman did. So she starts throwing up smoke screens. She's, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. You're talking about this living water, but, you know, we have this well, and are you better than Jacob, and just all of that. So she, she wants to keep, 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 keep it going. So verse 27, just as Jesus reveals that he is Messiah, once you know it, the disciples come back and interrupt. Like, man, another five minutes, and <laughs> this would have worked. And again, the, the disciples start thinking to themselves, oh, this is really, really, really bad. <coughs> so there was three rules that, that Jesus broke. But in fact, he also broke a fourth. A rabbi is a teacher. Now, ladies, are you sitting down? We aren't allowed to talk to you in public because you're stupid. <laughs> you can't understand things. And so even in the New Testament, the, the, the rule was, if you, uh, women, if you have something to, to ask, something you don't understand about God, you wait till you get home and ask your husband. So now here is Jesus talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, and as a rabbi, doubling the effect of what he has done. But now as a rabbi, he is talking to this woman about theological matters. Talking to her about God. Now, the belief was, it does no good to talk to women about God. Because you be stupid. Right? That was, that was the culture. Just tell me as it is. So... For a, a rabbi, it was actually a law that you do not talk to women about God. So, because A, it's a waste of time, you can't comprehend what I'm saying anyway, and B, sharing about God is sacred. So sharing, with somewhat, sharing God with somebody you know can't understand profanes what you are saying. That was the common understanding in the day. So, so that's what the disciples walk into. They walk into hearing Jesus say, I am the Messiah. <laughs> right? So all of a sudden, their minds are just going ballistic. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? So basically, every cultural law, Jesus breaks with this woman. But he had to go to her. And this is the only way he's going to get through to her. So you see how the walls keep coming down with Jesus. You know, they're at the temple. We're going to cleanse the temple, get rid of all this nonsense of, you know, selling animals and all that jazz. <clears throat> we're, we're, we're getting rid of all this stuff. We just want to make it possible for, as Jesus soon reveals, that in that argument with you know, uh, worshiping in Mount Gerizim or, or in the temple, neither one. Both are going to become obsolete. Because the only thing that matters is worshiping in spirit and in truth. Another wall down. And Jesus just loves to do it. And watch people's heads spin on their shoulders <laughs> because they just don't get it. So the disciples come back and not much more is said, but now by verse 28, 29, and 30, obviously, boom, the woman gets it. Nothing else is really said, but, but it clicks. 
I am the Messiah. She argues for a second, doesn't get it, but then all of a sudden it hits her like a train. And now she's on fire. She's overcome with joy that now realizing Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Remember previously the best she could do is you're a prophet. But they don't even believe in prophets. <laughs> right? So that was, that was huge. But here's what she does. She went to the well to get water. She leaves her water jar there. She doesn't want to get slowed down at getting back to her village and telling the people, I have found the Messiah. And notice what she does. She doesn't meet one person on the street and argue with that person for two hours. So all she says is, I have met the Messiah. Come out to Jacob's well and see for yourself. And goes on to the next person. See how easy this is? It's always reminiscent to me of, of the woman at the tomb. They yes. immediately leave and start telling people. And how did they go? <laughs> right, exactly. Just probably as well as this The, the yeah. men thought, thought they were nuts. Yeah. Yeah. They're overcome with grief. Uh, yeah, whatever it is, you, you, your, your, your sugar is, uh, <laughs> has depleted or something. You're seeing hallucinations or, you know, coming up with some other plausible. Because you can't argue, you can't argue the reality of resurrection. You can't. I mean, we don't have any movie film of it. We don't have any snapshots of it. We don't have, all we have is the eyewitness account of those who were there. So, again, this is a matter of faith. It's not a matter of logic. So this woman is smart enough to do exactly what we've discussed is the discipleship process. It's just come and see for yourself. Won't you come and see? And if you open your eyes, you will see Jesus in front of you. And interestingly, even though this woman apparently has such a bad reputation, they believe her. And they come in great numbers and with great wonderment. And it says many believed. But she left behind her water jar. One scholar writes of this. I think this is profound. She abandoned the bringing of water for the bringing of men. Right? The, the water jar would have slowed her down, would have inhibited her from, from being effective in that. She left all that behind so that she could be effective in just come and see Jesus. <coughs> I love that. So she's gone, verse 31. The disciples begged Jesus to, to eat because he sent them into town to get something to eat. And Jesus responds with, I have food to eat that you know, know nothing about. What are you talking about? <laughs> you sent us into town to get food for you. Did this woman give you food? Did Pizza Hut deliver while we were gone? So they're a lot like Nicodemus and this woman that the early part of the conference, they could only see the physical, the practical. We're talking food here. Jesus is talking spiritual food. They're talking physical food because they got a big bag full of, you know, Physical food. Here, eat this. I have food that you can't begin to understand. Ay. So, verse 34, or 33, it becomes clear that, you know, that's what the disciples are thinking. Yeah, it's yeah, the practical. Could someone else have given him food? That becomes a conversation. Verse 34, no. Jesus now helps them to understand what he's really talking about. 
So basically, Jesus is talking now in, in, in a parable form. He, he, he didn't do that very often with the disciples. He always did that with the crowd. But he did that rarely with the disciples. But this is an example of a, of a parable. Because he, he's talking in practical terms. He's talking about a harvest. He's talking about a reaper, about a sower, about seed. You know, about all these practical things. But each one means something different. So in, in a parable, the, the, the nouns... Or the, 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 the nouns mean something else. So a sower is not really a sower, it's somebody else. Now oftentimes when there's a master or a king, that's, that's God. And then it goes down from there. The servants are you and I, you know, that kind of stuff. So now think in parable form as to what, what Jesus is saying. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. All right? He talks about work, but he's talking about spiritual work. So what is God's will for Jesus? What does God want Jesus to do? To tell. Okay. Tell what? Tell about himself. Okay. Reveal. The truth. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. To reveal the truth. Okay. What else is God's will for Jesus? Okay, so in that revelation then is to, that's where the harvest principle comes in, that now, now is the time to gather the people in. Not everybody, but the believers. Okay, what else is Jesus supposed to do? Make, make the connection between God and the people, or, or be the connection. Okay, the liaison, <laughs> perhaps. Um, yes, so to physically represent God to the people. No one has ever seen God, but in him we see the glory of God, right? So, yeah, you can't see God, but you can. All right, what else is Jesus supposed to do? Sacrifice himself. Okay, eventually die on the cross for our sins. That's the culmination, then, obviously, then to rise on the third day, to resurrect, to give us the hope of eternal life. All right, so that was Jesus' mission, Is our mission any different? Don't think we have to die on the cross. That was already done, right? That was a one-off deal. But other than that, everything you just named, is that our mission as well? Well, thanks for agreeing to that. <laughs> you always say, be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Right. So I, I think that's, that's become a problem in the Christian church is that we, we think Jesus does this, I'm supposed to do something else. No, as Christians we are Christ-like, which means we do the exact same thing Jesus does. And that's why we need to study this and understand what Jesus does, and then we can say, I need to do the same. You see how it works? <coughs> it's just that simple. <coughs> so our mission is the same as that of Jesus. To do the will of God. But then it says to finish his work. So what work does Jesus need to finish? Well, the time has not yet come. For? For him to uh, sacrifice his life. Okay, so that's the end product. And it's not time yet, but... 
we're getting there. The clock is advancing pretty, pretty fast at this point. So the, the beauty of the cross is that it is now clear that the power of sin and death has been destroyed. Remember the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, right? God's out, God is revealed. So the power of God is now among us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Now, that's to make that work known, clearly seen. So again, I will ask the question, is that any different than what we were supposed to do? See? It's the exact same thing. It becomes our job as well. Jesus did it, but Jesus isn't here, so we become his voice. His hands, his feet. We are his ambassadors, one of the words that's used in the Bible, um, that we share now as just the same as, as he would. So in everything we're doing, the, the, the common phrase we have today is, you know, what would Jesus do, WWJD, should be what's in our mind. In this situation, with this person, given these set of circumstances, what would Jesus do? If you ask yourself that first and can come to a conclusion... The rest is easy. I'll do the same. <laughs> right? So you don't have to make stuff up. You just analyze what would Jesus do in this situation? I mean, could you imagine yourself being with this Samaritan woman? With the laws that you can't talk to a woman, men? Uh, you, you know, just all of that cultural stuff that was there, and yet, eh, this woman needs help. I don't care if everybody hates me. I'm going to I'm going to reach out and help this woman. That's that's just awesome. So in the finishing of the work, how about flip ahead to John 17? Let's go a little later in the story and see what happens there. John 17:1. So. Was it you, Linda, that was saying that you know, the, the clock is progressing, but we're not quite there yet? Okay, this is, yeah, give or take, about two years before the crucifixion. Now, chapter 17, we're at the Last Supper. We're two years later. Watch what happens here. 17.1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So he's praying to God with the disciples present. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Okay, so now he's saying the time has come. It was coming. The kingdom of God is near, is where it started. But over that close to three-year period, now he's declaring within hours of the crucifixion, the time is now. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So two years previous, here in chapter 4, it's not complete yet. Now, within hours of the crucifixion, nothing else is done. It is complete. See how it works? So then, next day, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he only says seven things. The next to last thing he says is, it is finished. 
which is not a sign of weakness. The word in the original language means I have accomplished what I have come to do. It's finished. So if you're a woodworker and you're making some elaborate woodworking thing and it's done, do you, do you pick up saws and chisels and keep mangling that thing? You'd ruin it. Right? If you add anything more to it, you would ruin it. When it's done, it's done. So Jesus says there's nothing more that can be done now. The full plan of God has been instituted. And now we'll just sit back and watch and see what happens. Nothing more can be done. It's finished. So not a sign of defeat, but announcing that the job is done. So in the midst of Jesus talks about the harvest, about a reaper and a sower. So let's start with the harvest. What, what is this harvest that Jesus speaks of? Let me just tell you off the bat, it's not, not collecting wheat. Okay, so it's a very common biblical image of the, the gathering together of souls of the faithful. Keep in mind that uh, Jesus talks about you know, the, the gathering of actual wheat, but says that there has to be a separation process, because there's a lot of junk in there. So back in that day, they have these big wooden forks that they throw it up in the air as high as they can. The wind takes the, the chaff, the, the, the lighter, non-usable stuff, and blows that away. And then what falls back to earth is the heavier wheat. But there's got to be in this harvesting a separation process. So it's not a gathering of 100% of the earth. It's a gathering of, maybe initially, the gathering of all people, but there is a separation so we're throwing the wheat up in the air. Jesus says, well, the chaff is collected together and burned. Hell. He also talks in an image of sheep and goats gathered together. The two most common uh, 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 commodities in, in that day for finances. The sheep enter into the joy of your master. The goats sent out into the darkness, it says. So again, a separation. So the harvest is a collection, but then also the separation point. All right, so that's the final product, is the harvest. But he talks about a reaper and a sower. Who are the reapers and sowers? Well, God's the reaper. Look, look. Look at uh, verse 38. Oh, that's right. okay. See, it's, yeah. it's a trick question. We want to split it, but you and I are both reaper and sower. Which means that we, each of us comes at various stages in the harvesting process. So the harvest then, if the harvest is souls then for an individual soul, you might be the sower, but then again, you might be the reaper. You might be both. 
This might be somebody that's been involved in your life for so many years that you have been had the opportunity to do both. You've been able to sow the seed and nurture the seed and develop the seed so that in the end you can be, be, be the one directly responsible for the harvest, for the reaping. Not necessarily. That's probably rare. So, but what that means is that both roles of sower and reaper are equally valuable. There's not extra points for reaping. We'd like to think so. As the closer, right? I, I got another soul for Jesus. You don't get extra points for that. You get the same amount of points as the sower, as the one who planted that seed 20 years earlier and probably forgot about it. Now that's good news. Because now we, we, there's no need for us to compare ourselves and say, I'm a better Christian than you because I have X number of souls in my category that I can claim and you have none. Or you have less than me. <coughs> so <coughs> that arrogance would be very much like the Pharisees that Jesus so despises. So we need to keep ourselves from that. So this makes it abundantly clear that at whatever stage in the process you are in helping another person, another soul come to Christ, you get maximum bonus points with God. So again, it's not the conversion is is not ours. That's the Holy Spirit takes care of that in the life of that other person. Our job is just to share the message. To be the ambassador. Good. Spirit has a part in this before oh sure before we reap or sow they have to be wooed or drawn or whatever by the spirit then then it's fertile ground it's been fertilized you can go in and sow the seed or do the reaping but if the spirit isn't working there you can talk to your blue in the face even before you get there Right? So again, the Holy Spirit is inside everyone trying to woo us to Jesus. And so that might not work. But if you show up, what you're doing is actually confirming what this person has already been sensing. Yeah. You see? So you're not introducing anything new. You're simply confirming what the person already knows. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 1. And that's why denying the Holy Spirit then is the capital crime with God. You know, look at everything I gave you. I gave you every opportunity to accept this and you, you, you reject it. You refuse to do it. So because of your hard heart, you're out. You're a goat. You're chaff. I think that's why seemingly people come to Christ sometimes under really weird circumstances, like nothing terrific has been said to them, nothing has happened. It's just whatever that song, that particular song, just whoo, that did it. You're you're gone because of what the Spirit has done in that person. Been a, been a history of that for a long time since since birth. Yeah. Truly, and uh, yeah, they may have gone 40, 50, 60, 80 years denying that, but yeah, it it sometimes hits them hit, hits them like a wrecking ball. Yeah. It just it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So there's there's those, and I would call those miraculous conversions also. That somebody who is so in their mind so against Jesus, and now all of a sudden the seemingly insignificant thing is what, what wins them over. So again, you know, the beauty of it is, see, it doesn't have to be a Billy Graham crusade. It doesn't have to be something extraordinary and big. All it requires is a relationship. 
that we, as the Christian, want to be friends with the non-Christian. It's huge. Isn't that what we saw in those first couple chapters? Come and see, come and hang out with Jesus. John the Baptist sends, sends his disciples to Jesus. Go spend some time with him. I really think you're better off if you just look at yourself as a seed planter and forget the rest because you're not going to do the harvest if it isn't time. Right. So just plant the seeds. Say what you can say, show what you can show, and let it go. It's yep. not up to you after that. Nope. That's why you deal with kids that way. Give it all to them, but let them go because when it's time, it'll happen. People are going to do what people are going to do. You can't, you can't make them change. Exactly right. Yep. Perhaps the most profound thing you've ever said. <laughs> no, seriously, that's I, I, I think. Be how I console myself. Well, <laughs> but but you see, we I think we do put too much pressure on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And we think that we have to be the closer. And no, the Holy Spirit's the closer. So we just we just give. And so if that's planting the seed, if that's you know, watering the seed, if that's putting fertilizer on the seed, if that's making sure there's no weeds around so that the, the sunlight can get to it. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects of growing something from a seed to a full plant that we could be instrumental in any or all of those phases. But we have to realize that that's our job. I mean, that's what I, I think this whole story is making clear. My food is to do the will of the Father. Well, what's Jesus doing? Plant seeds, nurturing seeds. This has nothing to do with anything except I have been tortured all summer. Every time I come in this side door, because I like the story about the seeds falling on good and fertile and not good soil. And out there on the side of the building, there is a concrete, um, I don't know, it looks like a frame, concrete frame around something. It's about this high. And in the middle of that frame is one hole about that much bigger than my thumb. And all summer, one thing has been growing. <laughs> I see you got in there. I could just have taken that to the sanctuary for a children's message, you know? It, that, that was perfect. Well, we could take a picture of it and put it up on the screen. Well, I could have done that. It's probably frozen now, but just that one plant has grown all summer out of that. In the middle of concrete. <laughs> yep. But, you know, I, I think that's one of the soils that Jesus is describing. You know, with, in the midst of, you know, against great odds, in the midst of real adversity, nonetheless, it's still, it's still possible to grow. Yep. Which, I think to your earlier point, takes away all of our excuses. Well, I can't believe in Jesus because I had a hard life or my parents were mean to me or, you know, whatever. I lost my job or you know, whatever the circumstances. You know, we, we use those excuses as the means by which we give ourselves a break, you know, that, well, I don't have to believe in Jesus because this bad thing happened. You know, all the more reason. So if that plant can grow in the middle of concrete, then you can come to faith. There's nothing that's, that's, that's going to stop you. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yep. Yep. <coughs> I think one of the worst excuses you hear is, "My parents made me go to church every time yep. there's a church service." I the, got those sick of like, Those cruel parents. What, what are they thinking? So, but but then you also hear the the exact opposite. My parents never took me to church, therefore I want to go. Wow. So I, it's say say how individual this is. You know, the, so the the. The identical set of circumstances can and always does result in two exactly opposite responses. 
So it is up to the individual to come to that conclusion. And that's why salvation is, is, is individual. It's not the way you were raised. It's not your, 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 your parents can't save you. Your, your spouse can't save you. Your children can't save you. The country can't save you. It's your personal relationship with Jesus. That's all it is. And you make it what it is. You're either going to grow it or you're not. Now, speaking of all that hard work, in verse 38, Jesus says that, quote, others have done the hard work, and we now reap the benefits of their labors. Again, parable form. So in Jesus' day, with these disciples, who is he referring to? Who has already done the prior hard work to make it possible for these disciples to be where they are today? John the Baptist in particular, the, the immediate forerunner. Anybody else in the... All the prophets. You know. Right. So God kept sending messengers. He kept sending the message. Uh, kept making sure that the word was being revealed. Uh, the people kept rejecting it, but at least made sure that the, that was a, a common thread. So those who have gone on before us, and it's described as hard work. It was hard work to be a prophet. Because <laughs> what did it do to most of them? Kill them. Right? John the Baptist, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get beheaded here real soon. Right? So, yes, it was hard work, but they, out of their faith in God, willingly made that sacrifice for our benefit. Now, we talk in those same terms about you know, those in our, in our military in generations gone by that have made it possible for our freedoms today. Because of the sacrifice they made, we enjoy these freedoms today. See, they, they did the hard work, we get the benefit, right? So, we use those same terms. That's exactly what, what Jesus is, is talking about. So, that was back then. So, for us today, 2016... Obviously, we have John the Baptist and we have the prophets as well who've helped to, to establish some good hard work for us. But in the 2,000 years since the, the resurrection to now, who can you name that has made it? Who has done hard work for us in the last 2,000 years to make it possible for us to be here today? All rise. <laughs> sure. Martin Luther, you know, the evangelist. Sure. Yep. Somebody mentioned Billy Graham last night. Yep. So, uh, just, yep. but I want you to think of it in those terms. That I mean, there's been many who have made sacrifices along the way for us. Uh, Martin Luther, I can't begin to tell you what a huge risk that was for him. Because the Catholic Church owned and controlled everything. Controlled your family, <laughs> controlled your religion, controlled your economics, controlled your social life. And so by Martin Luther protesting the Catholic Church, he was excommunicated, which means that your family can no longer talk to you. If they talk to you, we throw you in jail for talking to them. If you had a business, no one was allowed to patronize you. If you had a job, we had to fire you. And none of your friends could ever talk to you again. You are a complete social outcast. And that was the, the power the church had there in the Middle Ages. Unbelievable. 
So basically, you would never cross the Catholic Church <laughs> because the retribution was unbelievable. And, you know, the whole Marquis de Sade and the, you know, just all, all that happened. I mean, would you have that much power? That's what you can do. You just pull anybody from the home at any time for any reason and do whatever you want to them. And isn't that still going on today? In parts of the world, sure. Well, but in our own country, with your, I don't know whether it's Mennonite or Amish, whichever, with those groups that you either play by their rules oh, or yeah. they ditch them. Yeah, all, all in the name of God. And that's, so yeah, so it, you know, where, where in the balance is love? When it's, it comes across as, as judgment, you know, where, where is love in that? And that's why, you know, I, I believe the smart move is to always err on the side of grace, as the old, the old saying goes. And that's just, you know, when you're ever, you're flipping a coin, I'm not sure how I should, should I react harshly or, or not? Eh, don't, 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 don't choose the, the harshness. I've shared this before, but my daughter-in-law was divorced. In a bit, he had, she had a protection order against her former husband. It was a very bad situation. And the church was going to take a vote on whether or not she could, would be allowed to sing in the choir. So she just said, don't bother voting, I'm leaving. And she did. And they found another church where she's welcome, and now they're both going there, and it's, it's, it's great. But, um, wow. You know. I, I, I can't, even, can't even wrap my mind around that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's just, it's, it's frightening. What, what we do trying to protect Jesus, <laughs> who is God and really doesn't need our protection. <laughs> right? And they lost a very good soprano when yes. they got rid of her, too. Yep. I was going to say, we let all the sinners sing in our choir. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a prerequisite. <laughs> oh, man. So, John Wesley. I mean, huge sacrifices. Left the organized church and never built another church. Spent the rest of his life on horseback, traversing the English countryside and sharing Jesus with everybody he met. Unbelievable life. Was his life threatened? Oh, yeah. He was... He was uh, yeah, because of the established order, yeah, didn't like what he was doing, and, and that's why many of the the early Americans were Methodist, because they experienced the same thing in, in their hometowns in England, and they said, well, enough of this, you know, I hear that land over there is free, we get to do what we want, we're going over there. So, yeah, by 1776, the number one religion in America were Methodist. Yeah. Yep. And shouting Methodist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those shouting Methodists, I'll tell you. So the the point is we have the benefit today of those who have gone on before us. Now, one more question. Do we have the desire to do hard work today so that our children and our grandchildren will be blessed. See, if we don't do anything today, they're going to have the hard work to do. 
So we are. So basically, what all these people we've named are doing is is doing something to make it easier for the next generation in terms of faith. To keep the, the continuum going, to, to make sure that the, the message of God continues to be profound and, and loud in, in our culture. So if we remain silent, our grandchildren will grow up and never have heard the name of Jesus. Because haven't you sensed over past what I don't know how many years, but you know, the the government, the you know, the the culture as a whole is doing everything it can to silence the name of Jesus. And if we allow that to happen, another twenty years, it would probably be illegal to say the name of Jesus. So, we we have hard work to do ourselves, is what I'm saying. To make sure that the next generation has the freedoms that we have. Because if we don't, they will be taken away from us and then it'll be really hard to get them back. So we have to keep working for that. Verse 39. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of the testimony of this one woman. That's huge. Again, somebody, she wasn't a respected member of society. Even these heathen Samaritans thought she was dirt. But her message broke through all that. Question, how important is your personal testimony in the life of somebody else? You want to break into small groups and discuss that? Very. <laughs> See? Just one person. Because again, by our silence, it never gets said. I mean, what would have happened if, G if, if this woman had just stayed there and just disbasked in the light of Christ and then went back into her hometown and said, boy, you really missed it. <laughs> right? Uh, so somebody last night said that... Uh, I, I imagined the, the woman was glowing. I, I, I can see it. She probably looked different that afternoon than she, when people saw her that morning. Just, you know, the drudgery of life in the morning. But now having experienced Jesus, the freedom would have just, just created a glow in her. That probably was something that captured the attention. That as she spoke, you got to come and see this guy. You know, that's what, what convinced them. My God. Noticed that she didn't bring the water back. That she yeah. Forget. Yep. You were so overcome with this that you actually you've got to be pretty excited about this. Thing, yeah. Kind of kind of like Moses, though. You know, having that glow that uh, your 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 countenance has changed. But but your personal testimony. <clears throat> now that means that yes, you try and get the facts right. But even if you mess a few things up. <laughs> It's still better to share than not share. So every one of us has a personal testimony. It is not like the video I put up on the screen a couple months ago, the preacher beeper. Remember that? When somebody asks you, what do you think about Jesus? Well, I don't know, but let me, let me get my preacher here and he'll tell you. Right? That doesn't win anybody for Christ. 
it has to be your testimony of how Jesus has impacted your life. It's not anybody else's story. It's not John Wesley's story. It's your story. That's where the power is. Look what has happened to me. And the cool part is every one of our stories are different. <laughs> My story is not yours. Your story is not mine. But interestingly, as different as they are, each one is equally powerful in the life of an unbeliever. The testimony each one of us has is indeed incredibly, incredibly powerful. I think when you meet somebody new, the most interesting thing you can hear from them is how they came to Christ. Yes. I, I like to find out how they met their husband or wife too, but the, I think the most interesting thing is how did you meet Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. And isn't it funny and how different the stories are? Story. Yep. And it, it's interesting. It's unique. Verse 41. Jesus stays two more days with the Samaritans because they beg him to do so. And many more come to believe. So whatever number of men came out that afternoon, now you have the woman's testimony plus dozens of men who now go back to the village. They keep disseminating the information and keep bringing people to Jesus. Don't believe me? Come and see for yourself. This guy's staying in town for a couple days. Come and hear him tonight. You will be amazed. So many more come to believe as a result of that. Now in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to, remember Philip from chapter 1? Philip goes to Samaria right after Stephen is stoned. I think people were beginning to realize we better get out of Dodge. <laughs> so he goes, leaves Jerusalem and goes to Samaria. Goes a little north to Samaria. And while he is there, many this is what Acts chapter 8 says, many confessed their faith in Jesus, they were baptized, and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a good two, two and a half years later, after the Samaritan woman at the well, when many came to believe in Samaria that day, now two and a half years later, Philip shows up, and now many more come to believe. So in fact, Samaria becomes a central hub of Christianity. The Samaritans, there were many more Samaritans believing in Jesus than in Jerusalem. Peter was trying to lock it into Jerusalem. Well, it was going like wildfire up in, up in Samaria. Do you think they were more, more open to it because they weren't, didn't have such Jewish, the same Jewish roots as... I think so. No, that they, you know, they weren't so indoctrinated in, the, didn't have that wall around them of the, the official Jewish faith. The Samaritans had a partial understanding. It goes basically back to Abraham is all, all they held on to was Abraham, 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 and Jacob. Um, but, you know, it, it just, yeah, it was very, very limited. So, yeah, so they didn't have nearly as big of a wall to get through. Jews, Jews are a tough crowd, no, no two ways about it. Verse 42 is powerful and interesting. Remember how we talked in the first few weeks of our study that our job is not to convince others to believe in Jesus. All we need to do is expose them to Jesus. Come and see. So these Samaritans who originally believed because of the woman's testimony now realize that they know Jesus personally themselves. 
And they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. So you see, this, this discipleship process begins with come and see. I want you to at least believe me that I believe Jesus is the Messiah. But now come and see for yourself so that you will essentially abandon me and now believe in Jesus for yourself. Right. He sent his disciples to Jesus. I have trained you. Now you guys go and figure it out on your own. I can't do that for you. I can't make you believe. So yes, you use your testimony to get a person close to Jesus, to other followers of Jesus, and then that person will come to believe on their own. Now this is incredibly critical. No one can remain a Christian long term unless they choose to follow Jesus for themselves. Not because of your experience with Jesus, but their own experience with Jesus. So Betty, going back to your earlier point of you know, kids that grew up forced to go to church, <laughs> you know, I think that, that, that makes the point. You know, the parents are trying to get you close to Jesus, and is that 100% successful? No. For If familiarity breeds contempt, <laughs> right? Then for some people, that's what happens. <coughs> it, it pushes them away. But still, it was the right thing to do because if the parents hadn't done that, definitely the kids would ne never be exposed to Jesus. So at least they have the background, at least they have the experience of Jesus, at least the word is in them that... And frankly, they're going to be held even more accountable for that because they did have a chance and rejected it. But that's what the parents needed to do. So you don't let kids, kids dictate the terms of your, your surrender. <laughs> right? This is the right thing to do. Therefore, this is what we are going to do. Whether you like it or not, you don't get a vote in this. That's what good parents will do. They realize what, what's important and, and they will do it. But even exposing doesn't mean it's going to work. Some people reject it. And again, that's between that person and the Holy Spirit. That's not, not on us. We have done what we can do. So those, those parents are justified before God because they did the right thing. They brought their kids to church and exposed them to, to Jesus. So again, this Samaritan woman did exactly what is the essence of evangelism. She wasn't trained to do it. But again, Judy, the Holy Spirit is in her. I think at that point... Because you know, there was no more argument about why she came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. When Jesus first said that, she rejected it. 30 seconds later, she accepts it. So it's the Holy Spirit working in her, and she just finally, okay, I get it. It just finally made sense to her. So the Holy Spirit also revealed to her, this is what you do. Just go into town and tell people, come and see. Just come and see. If you come and see, you'll come to believe yourself. But I really believe this. I want you to have the opportunity to believe it as well. Jeff, the message really reads this way. Yeah. <clears throat> Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. Yep. 
<coughs> now, these are the only people that call Jesus the Savior of the world. Right? A lot, lot like yeah, Peter, Peter's confession. Yeah, who are you? Well, he's the only one willing to say, you're, you're the Messiah. Right? But the, the term Messiah is used quite frequently, but these people are the only ones who actually call him Savior of the world. Now that's after that brief encounter. Now we know. They came and experienced Jesus firsthand, and as a result, many souls are saved as a result of that. So again, that's all we can do, is just bring people to Jesus. Now, I'd like to think the church is a central hub of that experience. If you can bring them to worship, bring them to Sunday school class, you bring them to a small group, you bring them to something, and put them in a situation with other Christians who will reveal the reality of Jesus to them, that just might work. But standing on the street, arguing with them, and then saying, well, you're stupid if you don't believe the way I do, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> right? So come up with a different strategy. It's just as simple as come and see. Just, just come and see. There's a lot of people who are rejecting God. That, well, they say they believe there's a God, but they don't like the idea of organized religion. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go to the church. Right. So, yes, in fact, main, that's, that's the biggest thing against us mainline denominations. The, the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the, the Methodists and the you know, United Church of Christ and everything because it's, yeah, the younger generation, uh, and it's, it's our own fault because back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, we were idiots and uh, we, we just conducted church as if it was, you know, since everybody, it was the normal thing for people to do, we just rode that wave and didn't do anything. Just come sing your three hymns and go home. And so kids grew up with that and they begin to reject the church and now this new generation are their children, are the grandchildren of the people of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so that's, you know, it goes another level worse that now these kids are, you know, either they don't want anything at all with the church, any church, or definitely, well, that's what my grandparents did and that was, that was really stupid. And they don't realize that we, we have, at least some of us, have changed for the better, but they just blanket us all together. Organized church, awful. So that's why you know independent churches are growing and you know mainline denominations are not. So that's why many mainline denominations are actually trying to remove or in their advertising are not using the term Methodist. They're not using the term Baptist, they're not using the, the, those terms because they know immediately with the younger generation that's a turnoff. It's just we are we are a church that loves Jesus. That's how you want to advertise yourself. And so the, the Methodist is way secondary. So you actually try and try and fool people with it, <laughs> try and hide it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a real cultural struggle we have today, and it's it, it, it's brutal. Now here in Bedford, I don't think it's it's quite that bad, but certainly in the, in the bigger cities, yeah, it's it, it, it's awful. So you just a church is a church. The denominational banner does not matter at all. That's probably good. So um, I've had. Many people say that we are, we here are not your typical Methodist church. Because my goal is not to be Methodist. My goal is to be biblical. <laughs> right? So I just believe that Methodism supports the Bible. So, but I don't push Methodism. I push the Bible. You get the Methodism implied, but, yeah, it's just in the, the initial approach. That that's, that's what we're about. And so that's 
that, that will reach even those who don't like the mainline denominations and all that. But yeah, it's, 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 it's tough out there. <laughs> it's, it's real tough. A different culture entirely. Verses 43 and 44. Now, recall that Jesus was going to the north to go to Galilee. That was his intention. <coughs> but now they go through Samaria in the middle. So this is a two-day stop and just postponed that trip. He's still heading north to Galilee. And in the midst of that, Jesus points out that the disciples should not expect Jesus to be received as Messiah in his home country. But look, the next sentence says the Galileans welcome him with open arms, right? So that almost seems like a contradiction. But no, what Jesus said is my, in, in, in his home country. Galilee is a region, like, like a state. So he's saying that the, the, the nation as a whole does not accept me. But the Galileans seem to. But in fact, under the three regions, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, the, Ju the Judeans in the south, remember Jesus down there, cleansed the temple, the whole nine yards, um, they had questions, but we could describe their reaction to Jesus at best as cautious. Just, this looks dangerous, I don't think I want any part of it, but I'm not going to kill it yet, but I think I better stay away from it. The Samaritans, yes, open arms. Love this guy. The Galileans initially seem to welcome Jesus. But watch what happens here as the story progresses. It's not really a welcoming that Jesus wants. So Jesus is a prophet without honor in his own country. As a whole, the Samaritans are the only ones who really accept Jesus. Two out of three areas don't. Verse 46, Jesus and the disciples keep moving and shift over to Cana. Remember what happened to Cana, right? That's where it all started, the first miracle. And he encounters a, quote, royal official who approaches Jesus to come and heal his son who is dying. Verse 48, Jesus states that he knows that these Galileans will not believe unless they get a miracle. See, we welcome you, but the only reason we welcome you is because a bunch of us were down in Jerusalem when you cleansed the temple. We saw the miracles you did there, so we want you to do more miracles here. So it's a, it's a welcoming with an ulterior motive. Not a genuine, sincere welcoming. And Jesus knows that. And see, Jesus refuses to play the game. So Jesus refuses to go to this official's house, which was approximately 20 miles over very hilly country. He wasn't going to go there because all these people would follow him there, would witness this miracle, and then... They would say they believe today, but tomorrow they're going to want more. We'll dazzle us even bigger tomorrow, Lord. What are you going to do tomorrow that's better than today? <clears throat> so Jesus knows that. So instead, not going to do that. I'm going to heal the kid from a distance. It's going to be a while until you guys hear confirmation of that. By then, I'm going to be long gone. So that you can't come to me and, and praise me. And suck up to me so that you think you can convince me to perform more miracles. 
I ain't doing that with you people. Not going to happen. And he says to them in verse 48, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now the demand for miracles is the opposite of faith. Faith is what you don't see, right? So a miracle, you're saying, I won't believe until you give me the miracle. It's the opposite. For us Christians, the proper use of miracle is simply to confirm our already established faith. It may encourage us in the faith, but miracles are not designed to start you on the, on the faith. If that's what it takes, then tomorrow you're going to want a bigger one. And it's going to be a disaster. Essentially, these Galileans are demanding that Jesus prove that he is the Messiah. Now, this is in chapter 4. Jump ahead to the cross. Thelma, you're not going to pass out, are you? Okay, just... It's, it's been an hour. I just thought I would check. <laughs> I did warn you. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> nice seeing you. <laughs> so, if you jump ahead to the cross, do you remember what the crowd did to Jesus on the cross? Well, take yourself off. You're so powerful. Take yourself off the cross and come on down. Then we'll believe, they said. Right? So with that type of mentality, and we're going to experience the same thing out, out, out in the streets today. There's a lot of people like that. Prove it to me. Prove to me that Jesus is real. <laughs> so all you can do is just tell, tell your testimony. Tell, tell your story. I believe because of this but logically you, you, you're not going to be able to convince anybody so this mentality even Jesus refused to deal with there's going to be another area we're going to come across where he's going to look at it and say well do you people want miracles I refuse to do any miracles here they brought him sick and dying people and Jesus always has compassion for sick and dying nope I'm not going to do it because in the long run it's going to ruin you people sort of puts them in control too yeah yeah like, we're going to get this from him, we're going to get that from him. Jesus is, is a genie in the bottle that mm -hmm. if, we, if we rub hard enough and say, say a couple nice words, please, then, then he'll do whatever we ask. Yeah, yeah. No. And so, again, it's, when we say we follow Jesus, it's letting Jesus lead. It's not us getting ahead of Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, we need to go over here. It's simply submitting to where Jesus wants us to go. So faith that depends on miracles is not faith. And I, I personally have known people like that, that you know, claim to be such great Christians, but they something happens. Uh, a, a loved one gets sick, and they pray like crazy, and that person dies. And because the miracle was not performed, they abandoned God altogether. So we have to safeguard ourselves against that. Faith is what you can't see. You don't know what's going to happen. But nonetheless, you know that God is real. In a couple chapters, we're going to get to the feeding of the 5,000. That's in Galilee. He performs a miracle there, right? Where did all this food come from? And they want, after that miracle, 
They want more unmistakable miracles rather than observing what's already happening around them. Already, you know, God is clearly visible what he is doing around them. They refuse to see that. Basically, they're saying, Jesus hit me between the eyes with a two before. Otherwise, I won't believe. And Jesus just won't do that. He's not going to beat us into believing. What we need to see and everything we need to know is readily available to us. Because again, we have the Holy Spirit in us saying, there's a God thing over there. There's a God thing over there. Look at how God's working that person. Like, look, 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 look. Come and see, come and see, come and see. Right? And many people say, nope. Unless it is so, unless it literally falls out of the sky in front of me, I will not believe. Okay. But that's your personal choice. I have made my personal choice. Jeff, how do you handle the person that you have <coughs> with believing for a miracle, a yeah. healing miracle, and it doesn't happen? How do you deal with that person then? I, you know, we know God hears all the prayers. It's yes, no, and maybe, or wait. But how do you deal with somebody trying to believe? So are you talking about the person who is dying no. or somebody who's, who's observing the this? Observer. So for the person observing that, I would think first thing to say is, I am not God. God is. So God knows what he's doing. And frankly, if everything I prayed for God was willing to do, that would make me God. And it would also mean that no one would ever die. I mean, if I have if I if I have that much power over God, then I'm going to make it so that no one would ever die. If all I have to do is pray for a person not to die, then well, maybe people I don't like I would let go. But <laughs> you see how it works? That it would be very selective. So I mean, that would turn. I mean, that just sounds silly, doesn't it? So the point is, God's wisdom is greater than mine. And God knows what he's doing. And God is doing the best for this person. So even if it's a child, even if it's you know, a teenager, um, I know that those, are, those are especially brutal situations. But you know, it, it gets more confounding because some people are healed. <laughs> so it's not a universal that nobody gets healed or everybody gets healed. Some are and some aren't. And it seems completely random. That some children with, with terminal illnesses are healed, others die. Teenagers die in horrible automobile accidents. I mean, it just there's it, the randomness of it is beyond us. But I, I think that proves the wisdom of God. That God knows in each of those situations. But one thing never ever say is that you know God needed another angel in heaven. Oh, yeah. Don't ever say that. First of all, it's bad theology. You're not an angel in heaven. <laughs> They're already angels, right? <laughs> so that's, that's untrue. Plus it means that God is so mean that he would steal my loved one away from me. He's so selfish that he would, he would take this person away from me. I want this person here. So don't ever say that. that, that, that just, that'll, that'll send the unbeliever literally off a cliff. So uh, that's, that's not good. It's just, <coughs> and the simple admission, frankly, I don't understand all this either. Because I'm not God. And that's okay. 
So in those situations, yeah, I, I think the best strategy is I don't understand this either. This, this hurts my heart also. But I trust God who knows what he's doing. And in the end, you and I will understand it as well. So we, we, we simply accept in faith today the things that we don't understand. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want them, but he's with right. us with, through the turmoil. Through the, yeah, getting through it. But as, as the perfect parent, I mean, good parents sometimes tell their kids no. <laughs> Bad parents tell their kids yes all the time, right? So sometimes you know, parents say no, and, and God is our perfect parent, and sometimes what we ask for, the answer is no. That's, that's not the best thing. Now, it's hard for us to see, you know, especially when it's you know, one of those difficult situations, you know, a young person, um, it just, we, 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 see, we want to understand. And what I'm saying is there are some situations we cannot understand. I just think it's so hard when you know someone, you're <coughs> talking to someone, and you will say, I will pray for your healing, or I will pray for you, and then it just doesn't happen. I understand that it's not going to happen, right. maybe. <clears throat> but how do you make that person understand that really doesn't get the whole thing at all anyway? Right. Or try and have that conversation with a Christian scientist oh. that believe in no medical intervention whatsoever. And for simple things that are easily curable, <clears throat> they will not go to a doctor and just pray over their, you know, a child in particular. You hear that every couple years in the news and the child dies. Um, well, imagine those parents now. This is all my fault. So, I mean, just you take a bad situation and make it way worse. And then the church is also saying, you're, you're, you're a terrible Christian because you didn't pray hard enough for, for your child. Oh, my gosh. Well, what, a, what a misread of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous. But there's a whole bunch of people that believe that. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're just not that powerful. But... I mean, there's certain stories in the Bible, miraculous healings. I mean, Eutychus falls out of the window and is dead. <laughs> Pray over him, he comes back to life. Imagine the joy of those parents. Um, Paul himself died. People came and prayed for him. But other times, Christians died horrible deaths. So, I, I think the bottom line is, all right, watch this. Watch his duty. All right. What was Jesus' mission? To do the will of his Father. Therefore, that needs to be our mission as well. That we want the person to stay with us, to be healed, but it might not be the will of the Father. Yeah, we get to dovetail that. So we get to apply that to every aspect of life, even the stuff we don't like. Yeah, I I personally find comfort in that, knowing that yeah this this is the will of God. Now that doesn't mean that God made this happen. You got to be real careful with that, because again that yeah the the person who's observing that think well what kind of God is this that just arbit- seemingly arbitrarily is killing people. No, in the will of God is God allows these things to happen. 
he allows us to get cancer. He allows us to, to have terrible automobile accidents. He allows the house to burn. He allows the child to die. He allows, he allows those things to happen. Could he stop it? Absolutely. But then, see, the big theological discussion then comes, why doesn't he? Why is it yes here and no here? To learn from it. Yeah. That'll, that, that'll keep you up all night. <laughs> uh, because it, we tried, but it's, the goal is, if this is the will of God, then questions about that, or arguments about that, arise from, I am trying to bring God down to my level. And that's the danger. If you try to do that, your head will explode. If you, if you have to make God understandable by humans, right, but that's what people, they want an answer. Why? That's always the question. Why? Why did that tsunami happen? Why did all those people die? Why does this child have cancer? Why? 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 And try to bring God down that we can explain it in medical terms or logical terms that we can understand. And then say, oh, okay, now I get it. As opposed to us trying to ascend to understand the will of God. And as we take all this into account, we will understand that we're never going to understand all of it. There's some mystery with God. But that's where faith comes in. So you see, those questions and the insistence of I must know the answer, it's a lot like the Galileans. Give me proof. Give me the answers. Give me the verifiable answers of which no one can contest, and then I will believe. Can't do it. That's it. Don't even get started in that argument. But instead, redirect to this is the will of God, and we're trying to understand it, but we can't get all of it, and some things we just take on faith. Now, is that, is that a way out? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I say, you're just being honest. You're just, just saying that I don't understand all this. You won't either. And that's okay. But we know that God knows. See, that's the beauty. So once you know God, then you trust God with the things that you don't understand. That's how it works. All right, it's supposed to work. But yes, we, we could be instrumental in helping that other person to come to believe that themselves. Not easy, but there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of cups of coffee involved in that. Because again, that, that person wants to be like these Galileans and you know, I want proof, I want it in writing, I want to see videotape, I want, it, you know, I, I want all the evidence I've ever wanted. Show me the miracle and then I will believe. Because otherwise, I'm really mad at God. So... Not easy, doesn't work with everybody, but at least give it a try. But I think that that, that becomes part, part of our personal testimonies that we were talking earlier. That we have the opportunity to, to reflect on how God is in our lives and the simple fact that we don't understand everything ourselves. That's, that's just great. Why not? Do it that way. So what, what Jesus is revealing to these Galileans is that God is at work in, in Samaria, in Galilee, in Judea, in all those areas. And you should be able to observe God's, God's work. That God is actually working toward your salvation. But if you say you need more, 
then you get nothing. <laughs> That's how God works. Verse 49, this royal official believes Jesus, and on his way home, some of his servants run to meet him and say that his son is now healed. When the man inquires as to what time the boy revived, he realizes that it was the exact same time Jesus spoke the words that he will live. But the important lesson is that Jesus did not have to be present to perform the miracle. Jesus didn't want to be present to appear as though he wanted to be praised for the, for the miracle. He just, just walked away. And then by the last verse, it says this is the second sign. Well, not quite. That's the second sign probably in Cana. But back in 2.22 in Jerusalem, it says that Jesus performed many miraculous signs. And again, that's what the Galileans saw. They were at the festival with Jesus. They traveled down to the festival in Jerusalem and then went back up. And now Jesus comes up to meet them. And they remember, oh, that's the guy who did all the miracles. We want more. We want more. We want more. So it must, by referring to this as a second miracle, must be the second miracle here in Cana. So in these first chapters, we began with a miracle in Galilee, in Cana. We moved down south of Jerusalem, cleansed the temple, did other miracles, headed back north again, stopped in Samaria, had some pretty cool things happen there, and now we've come back full circle back to Cana of Galilee. In other words, Jesus is always on the move. He's, he's not sitting around waiting for people to come to him. He is going to them. So don't wait for Jesus to prove his reality to you. What works with Jesus is faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Right? And that's for people that saw a lot of miracles. And Jesus still says, you have little faith. Because again, the miracles don't promote faith. They might confirm faith, but they will not advance you in the faith. So if you need a miracle a day to keep you going, a miracle a week to keep you going... You might as well hang it up now. Because even if you get the miracle a day or a miracle a week, it's not going to help you in the faith. You will just become a very selfish, self-centered Christian and think that, that you know, Jesus is on, he's the puppet on your string or the genie in your bottle that you get to get out. You're in control of Jesus. And obviously he refuses to play that game. Good stuff. And we are now officially done with chapter 4. Another big chapter. So we'll review a little bit next week and get started in Chapter 5. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.